A brand is made not just by the people who buy it, but also by the people who know about it. Now that is fundamentally important. Hello, it's Omar Oaks, editor of The Media Leader, the UK's leading, at least we'd like to think so, the UK's leading trade publication for commercial media, the world of advertising, paid marketing, journalism, and media tech. In a few moments, you'll hear my interview with Sir John Hegarty, the renowned, venerable, inimitable advertising creative, entrepreneur, and marketing guru. This is the first of two interviews I'm doing with Sir John, the first of which sets the scene for our future brands event next month. That's happening on the 25th and 26th of April at our new events home at Convene in Bishopsgate next to Leadenhall Market in the heart of London. And if you come to Future Brands, you'll hear my second interview with Sir John, which is at the end of day one. And that will come after we've heard from our Leaders Debate, which features the country's top brand marketers telling us what is foremost on their minds as issues and challenges to solve in marketing and media. We're also going to have a hand-picked panel of CMOs on that day who will go into what the future of brands and marketing means to them. So John and I will unpick what is said and what comes next. It's going to be great. And, you know, we're very clear on The Media Leader that so much of what funds the media comes from advertising and sponsorship. So these people, the marketers in charge of these commercial budgets, they collectively hold all this power and therefore what they think and the problems that keep it up at night matter. Anyway, enough from me. Here's my interview with Sir John Hegarty. And I'm pleased to be joined today by Sir John Hegarty, creative founder of the ad agencies Saatchi and Saatchi and BBH. Of course, author of the book Hegarty on creativity, There Are No Rules. And more recently, he founded the venture capital fund, The Garage Soho. Um, Sir John, thanks very much. And firstly, um, do you like being called Sir John? I, I was told before this interview that you, you you very much like being called Sir John. It's very important. No, um, no I don't. Uh, I, I actually... I read you nice didn't. Yeah, you're very nice if you introduced me as Sir John, but from now on, please, John. Sure, sure, sure. Well, um, the, from now on, I will refer to you as John, but the, the Sir John is, of course, implied. And um, if it's fair to call anyone uh, a legend of advertising and marketing, um, you are such a person. And um, you're just actually about to launch another cohort of this course that you've launched called The Business of Creativity. Um, so why have you done this? You know, who's it aimed at? What demand have you identified for this? Well, uh, it, it actually came out of um, uh, during uh, uh, the pandemic, during the lockdown, I was being constantly asked to give talks to large organizations about the subject of creativity. And naturally, it's a, a subject I'm passionate about, having lived my life in, in the creative industries. And uh, But, you know, you're given sort of 40 minutes to sort of talk about this and to go into why it's important and how to approach it and understand it and things like that. And you realize that 40 minutes is just really not enough time. And it is such a serious subject that it ought to be uh, uh, looked at uh, in a more uh, broader format. So uh, I thought that what I should do is do a series of masterclasses. I, I don't like the word masterclass because again, it sounds a bit pompous. Um, on kind of understanding creativity. So, first of all, then at the same time as that was happening, McKinsey had come out with a report saying those businesses that engage positively with creativity created better returns for your shareholders. So on the one hand, you had my belief about the power of creativity. 
And then you had McKinsey coming along and saying those companies, those businesses that engage with it, create better returns for their, their shareholders. So you had a com coming together of these two ideas, these two thoughts. And the important thing, so who is it aimed at? I very much aim this at businesses in general. It's not just the communications industry. It's not just those involved in branding, although it's very important to them. I want businesses in general to try and engage with this because, you know, what I point out in, in the series of talks is that business businesses are very, very wary of the word creative. It's one of those words that kind of people go, oh, I'm not creative. I don't understand it. If I have to do it, I will, you know, da, da, da. And, and if you don't understand it, you are not going to engage with it. If you don't engage with it, then you're, you're holding your business back. That's where I come from. So it's for businesses in general. And I suppose I liken it to, if I said to you, uh, I want you to drive this car, here are the keys. And you said, but I don't know how to drive a car. You wouldn't drive the car, would you? So you'd go, oh, I can't drive a car. I'm not going to do that. Give somebody else the keys. So I, I view it as kind of, if you understand creativity, you are going to engage with it. And so the, the, the course is aimed at business in general, which is why I've called it the business of creativity. I'm putting together two things that don't seem necessarily to go together. But obviously it works incredibly well for those in the world of brands and, and uh, those developing ideas and being directly involved with ideas as well. Because the more you understand a subject, the more you understand what it is, what it delivers, how it delivers, um, the more successful you're going to be. So it, it, that's the basis of it. So I really want it to be for all businesses. You know, even if you're just making toothbrushes, the business of creativity would help you with your business. Hmm. Um, so I'm quite interested to delve into this a little bit because um, this this comparison with um, learning a technical skill, like how to drive a car, um, that's an interesting idea that you can teach creativity in that sort of way, which rather goes against the grain of the the, the sort of rock star um, personas that sometimes people like me in the trade media like to build people like you up to be um, to suggest <laughs> Thank to, you, by the way. <laughs> um, to suggest that you know there there are these these geniuses and um, savants in our industry who almost were given by divine inspiration the power of creativity when actually you're suggesting that this is something that can be taught um, uh, we're gonna get into this more at um, our live conversation at the future of brands which I'm really excited about. Um, but before we do, let's broaden out a little bit. I wonder if I could ask you, what mark out of 10 would you give the state of creativity in marketing communications right now? I'd probably give it a four. A four? I think it's, yep. Yeah, I think it's very, very, very poor. Um, I think that we have um, lost faith in the big idea. Uh, a big idea can change the fortunes of a brand. And we've lost faith in how to communicate that idea. I think we've, many, many businesses have retreated behind uh, a wall called technology, expecting technology to do the job for them. Um, and the tech companies, the, the social media companies, have been brilliant at, at um, convincing uh, all these businesses that um, the answer to their problems is technology, is to ever focus your your media attention on the people who are going to buy your product. You, you 
you you you you know you 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 get rid of wastage. It's focused. It's efficient, and all these wonderful words that people like to respond to, which makes them seem all very very kind of you know proactive as business leaders, and. Essentially, it completely understands how brands are built. Um, and if you don't go back to the core of how a brand is built, uh, then you won't ever create successful uh, marketing. You won't create a successful brand. Technology is there as an aid to kind of communicating your idea. And technology is brilliant. Let's not get any, let's not be in doubt about that. Great technology is a wonderful aid uh, to a marketeer's uh, uh, for a marketeer's plans, but technology isn't the answer. The answer is an idea. Now technology helps me communicate that brand in a way which is distinctive and different, and uh, more powerful. I mean, it, it, it's like you know, a, a piano is the answer to a composer's creativity, a composer's uh, uh, job. No, a piano is a piano. The composer still has to compose. The piano allows that composer to do it in a very different way. And that's a great aid to their creativity. And we seem to have fallen behind here in, in terms of just looking at technology and we have data and data is fundamentally important. But these things, we're looking at them saying they are the answer. No, they're not. They're opportunities to make our answer even more powerful and our solutions more powerful. They are not in themselves the answer. And so what do you think is to blame for this? Is it laziness? Is it um, a, 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 a lack of structure in the way that brands are built up to do marketing nowadays? Or is it simply that you know, um, consumers aren't watching, aren't consuming mass media as they were in the past? It's more difficult to reach people through media um, and that creative message you, you, it doesn't cut through as well? Well, there, there are a number of answers to all of those. Uh, I think that we, first of all, we have people who are focused solely to a large extent on cost, cost cutting, not brand building. Um, the answer to your business is to cut costs uh, and to look at only efficient ways of communicating. Efficiency is fundamentally important. Let's not get that wrong. But if you have somebody who doesn't understand the power of ideas, and I think there's a piece of research that shows the number, percentage of companies in the UK who are run by people with accountancy training is much higher than it is in other countries. So we have, a, we have people who are focused on cost-cutting, on proving effectiveness, on proving what they're doing is going to work. Now, this is my first issue. Of course, in life, I would like to be able to prove everything I'm going to do is going to work. But sadly, you can't do that. Never have done, and you never will be able to do that. There is always an element of risk. There's always an element of exposure. And it is those businesses that understand how to engage with that and how to use it that are the ones that succeed. So you have this, first of all, this driving force of people who just look at, I want to prove it. I've got to prove that it works. I don't want waste. Nobody wants waste. But how do I actually ensure that I'm not getting waste? So they, they go to technology. Technology has the answer. I just direct my marketing at people who are going to buy my product. This completely misunderstands how a brand is built. 
And if there's something I'm going to say now, I want people to write this down. And it is a brand is made not just by the people who buy it, but also by the people who know about it. Now, that is fundamentally important. When you're advertising, when you're communicating, you're communicating to a much broader audience than you should be than those who are just going to buy your product because you want to enhance the value and the fame of the product that you are buying. And if you do that of your selling, if you do that, you increase the value of your brand. And that's done by making it broadly known about. If you direct your communication solely at those who, who know about it, or who, who want to buy it, then gradually your market will shrink and shrink and shrink unless you expand. So that's the first thing to say. Uh, and I, I do say principles remain, but practices change. The fundamental principles of marketing have not changed. They remain exactly the same. Then you have to decide, how do I communicate with this very, very diverse audience? And, you know, we always talk about this and we say, oh, you know, it's always been the case. It's always been the case that our audience is diverse. We sort of tend to think that, you know, it was lovely back in the 1980s when you just had television. People were diverse in all kinds of ways. The answer to a diverse audience is a brilliant idea. And that brilliant idea unites people. And that's what you're looking to do. So what you want to do in your marketing is to focus on coming up with a brilliant idea that unites people, that people respond to whenever they come across it. They admire it, they look at it, and they go, this is worth, this is worth considering. You know, I, I, I sort of think that modern marketing is, is, has become stalking. You know, the, the, the answer to your, your marketing problem is to stalk your, your potential consumer to the point where you annoy them so much they switch you off. Now, I came into the world of advertising when what we were trying to do is inspire people, inspire people to come to a brand. And I think we've got to go back to that. Brands should be inspirational. They should be marks that people look up to, that they admire, that they value, that they think this is something that I want to be a part of. And, and to admire it, even if you don't purchase it. I mean, I'm not, you know, the fact that I know about it adds to its value. I, I explain this as a, as a way of going, you know, um, you, you might know, a, you know, Adele, you know, famous I know pop of her, star. Yes. You know of her, you certainly do. I have not downloaded one of her tracks. I do not have one of her albums, but I know about her. Uh, and that adds to a value. And the same as Taylor Swift. I, I, you know, remarkable lady, understands the value of fame because it adds to her value, even though people, certain people aren't going to buy her product, buy her, buy her, download her tracks, but they know about her. That adds to her value. And I always think there's this wonderful... There's this famous phrase in advertising called, um, you know, advertising, 50% of my advertising is wasted. Nobody can tell me which 50%. It sounds very, very smart, but it, it's the most stupid thing ever said about advertising because it's obviously said by somebody who doesn't understand the fact that partly what you're doing is you're trying to acquire new business. You're trying to acquire new clients, even if they ultimately don't buy your product the fact that they know about them adds to their value. I, I would say my other example is Rolls-Royce. If I say to you Rolls-Royce cars, you go, oh, yes, luxurious, wonderful cars. 
I'm never going to buy one, Omar. I don't know. You might want to buy one one day, but I, I uh, certainly not today. Do. Anyway, no, not today. But I know about them. I know what they stand for, and that adds to their value. And it's the same with you know, if you're selling toothpaste, if you're selling boot polish, if you're selling baked beans, whatever it is you're selling, more people know about you. More people knowing about you in the right way is going to add to your value. So, um, so who's doing it well now? I mean, do you have a favourite ad campaign from the recent past? Do you or marketing activity um, more broadly? Well, I, I did actually. I used to talk about um, Oatly, um, the oat oat oatmeal drink, mm. uh, launched here about five, maybe launched a long longer, but became really noticeable about five years ago. Um, started in Sweden in 1997, something like that. IPO'd in the States two years ago for about 10 billion. Um, and a brilliant campaign, uh, Milk Made for Humans. And it was posters, it was social, uh, and they had a point of view, very distinctive advertising, and it captured people's imagination. Um, they used newspapers, they used, and they. It, beautifully integrated with the packaging. Wonderful example of a brand that really, really understood how to promote itself and own a market. And as I say, IPO'd in the States for about 10 billion. They have since slipped back before anybody says something, but they're still valued at like something like 2 billion, which is phenomenal for an oat milk. Come on, you know. Um, the other brand I've, I've really admired is, is um, Marmite. I think they've done a brilliant job. Uh, to marketing themselves and elevating a yeast, uh, a yeast spread after all to a point where people talk about it. And of course, what they've done, a wonderful thing about you, love it or hate it. Mm. They found a truth within the brand and dared to, to create marketing around that simple fact, love and hate. Uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, example of how, you know, you elevate really, let's face it, a fairly mundane product to you know, um, uh, this cultural importance. You know, we now talk about people as being a bit marmite, mm. and and that's the power of great marketing, that it makes you a part of culture. And if you're a part of culture, you're therefore more important and more valued, and that's what any great brand should be. Yeah, I mean, there still is a lot of great messaging, um, but I wonder if um, part of um, the problem is also how advertisers, how businesses generally regard the practice of marketing and how it comes out in their their corporate structure it 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 always seemed to me from the outside that there are broadly two types of businesses where you've got ones that put marketing at the heart of practically everything they do um perhaps the most famous example of this is steve jobs at apple he was effectively a, a ceo slash cmo worked hand in glove with chai day and they created these memorable ad campaigns like 1984 think difference um so so much of the company strategy was led by its marketing front and center um and then you have other companies i won't name specific names but it's clear that marketing is may be seen as this irritating cost and the chief marketing officer is somewhat separate to the more strategic objectives of the company. Um, do, you, do you broadly see it like that? Um, and if so, has that changed at all? No, I think you're, I think you're right. So, uh, I, think, um, I think, you know, I've, it's very interesting. I, I think so many great companies are led by showmen. Uh, they get up and they publicize what they're about in a way which captures our imagination. 
you know, from Richard Branson to Steve Jobs to Elon Musk to, and in his own way, you know, uh, Bill Gates, you know, he takes a sort of an approach to kind of the way we think about his company. And I think that sense of being a showman, of getting up and wanting to grab the attention of people is fundamental to a brand. Now, if you don't have a showman, if you don't have a Steve Jobs, or then you obviously do it through great marketing, like a Marmite, you know, which is part of Unilever. And uh, so, so I think that sense of marketing being fundamental to the success of a brand is, is undoubtedly true. But somehow, a lot of tech companies don't really believe that. They believe that the superiority of their technology is going to sustain them. And of course, what they don't understand is that, of course, it might give them a kind of momentary lead in the marketplace, but the very essence of a competitive marketplace is somebody's going to look at what you're doing. Uh, they're going to come up with possibly a better bit of technology, uh, possibly a, another way of doing it. And they're going to compete with you and they're going to take your idea. And these people forget that the one thing you can't steal is the brand. So if you've, if you've created a desirable, admired brand, then that's going to protect you. So, you know, and, and we see that problem again and again where companies don't build a kind of an admired brand and then get overtaken by the next stage of technology. I mean, you've always got to be relevant. You've always got to be investing in technology. You've always got to be investing in uh, looking at how do you stay ahead. But ultimately, somebody will copy what you do. Uh, and they may well copy it better than you. And the chances are they will because they look at you and see how they can improve it. Uh, but they can't copy your brand. And, and, you know, the best example of that, although obviously it's not technology, is, you know, if you had a Coke and a Pepsi, which one would you like to have shares in? <laughs> they both really make the same product, but we all know which we'd like to have shares in. Mm. And on the, the subject of um, copying um, within creativity, I mean, um, there's been so much talk in the last few weeks and months about AI and chat GPT. I mean, what, what, how do you regard the prospect of you know, ad campaigns being written by AIs and what's that going to do to marketing going forward? Well, I, I, first of all, I think there's a misunderstanding of how we can use these technologies. Um, of course, people demonstrate them to sort of go, look, it could write an ad campaign. That's how brilliant it is. And it's a wonderful, gets you lots of PR and headlines and stories and gets people debating what you can do. And I think that's fine. I mean, my view of it is that it, that it shows the need uh, for better and bigger ideas. I mean, I don't see AI as a problem. I see it as an opportunity. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, if I was in that position, I'd be linking AI to a brilliant idea I've created. Then I'd say to AI, now, I want this to go out into these 20 diverse audiences. How would you translate that idea into those 20 diverse audiences? Because you talk about fragmentation, so I've got to represent, I've got to somehow think about fragmentation. But I want to think about fragmentation around a unified idea. I don't want to be just different, totally different messages to all these different markets. And I would be using AI. I think AI is a great tool for us. I think it's a, a wonderful tool and it shouldn't be shunned in any way. Don't worry about it. 
engage with it, embrace it, understand what it can do, what it can't do. And what it can't do is come up with a genius idea. You know, it can adapt ideas because it, it looks back at everything and goes, this is what's been done. Um, this is how I can adapt that. And it will take your idea and adapt it. And that's brilliant. That's going to save you all kinds of time and it will create opportunities for you. So please embrace it. I think it's wonderful. I mean, you know, uh, don't be data driven, be data inspired. Uh, that's the way I like to think about it. Mm. Uh, and again, with data, that's, that's, that's the, you know, uh, the value of data for us. But ultimately, you've got to remember, everybody's going to have access to chat box or wherever it is. Everybody's going to have access to the data. Then what are you going to do? You're back to the same problem. Now what do you do? And it's called have a better idea. Have a more daring idea, having a more different idea. You know, uh, you know when um, Elon Musk launched one of his cars, I can't remember which one it was, he launched it into space. Now, he claims he doesn't do any advertising. Well, he does. He just doesn't, it just isn't called advertising. A bit like Richard Branson. Mm. You know, Richard Branson does things that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go around the world in a balloon. Now, would Chatbox have come up with that idea? I'm not sure they would have done. But what he did is he said, now, and then you go, now, how do I take that idea and spread it out to all the different audiences that I need to talk to? But, you know, so Chatbox is there. It's a tool. It's a wonderful tool. And it's absolutely fantastic. Embrace it. Go with it. Mm. Um, and on um, your business of creativity course I, I it looks like it's aimed at your 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 more senior or mid-level um practitioner but um i'm really interested in what you what advice you would have for people who are coming into this industry or maybe even not in this industry but considering a career in marketing and um it maybe must seem quite daunting if they listen to this conversation because we've been talking about so much about data and creativity and media fragmentation um you know we 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 hear you know even the media owners the tv broadcasters talk about how they are looking for for more coders and really technical people going forward i mean is is it do we just have a really technical future ahead of us even for people who want to you know work in marketing <laughs> and create great brands and yeah. No, you have, you have an idea's future ahead of you. I mean, of course, you know, uh, there are opportunities in marketing to understand how to engage with all these different opportunities. But ultimately, it's people who at their heart are creative and understand how to make the most of a great idea. First of all, buy a great idea. You know, great ideas don't just happen. You have to, you have to make them happen. You have to create them and then you have to have the courage to go forward with them. Because ultimately everybody will try and say, since the beginning of time, we've tried to predict the future. You know, it's, it's been an obsession. I, th I, I say there are three things we've been obsessed with since the beginning of time. One is speed. Can I get there faster? One is access. Can I get more of it? And two and three is predict the future. Because if I can predict the future, I can, I can work out a more certain life. So, you know, our early hunter-gatherers would, would, would follow the tracks of an animal and they'd say, ah, that animal passed because I can tell from the, the, the imprint of the track three hours ago, I could actually possibly capture that animal. It is this. 
I, I can I can live off that. I can kill it and eat eat that animal. And they were predicting what had happened. They were predicting into the future. So we've always been obsessed with that. And but ultimately, we know that there is a degree of uncertainty about the future. Uh, and the only way to secure certainty of the future is to have to have a brilliant idea that sustains you through it. Nobody could have predicted, nobody predicted the financial crash. Nobody predicted the um, uh, uh, COVID pandemic. Nobody predicted the war in the Ukraine. And these have had a profound impact on, on our businesses. How do you sustain that? Have a brilliant idea and it will, it will, it will get you through it. Um, well, on that note, um, talking about our inability to predict the future, um, please do come along, everyone listening to this, to the Future of Brands in April, where we'll be discussing this. And um, Sir John or John will be joining us to talk about um, business of creativity and a lot of these concepts in more depth. Um, John, thank you so much for coming on the Media Leader podcast. Omar, my pleasure. Look forward to talking to you at our next event. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader podcast. And there's more of where that came from on our website. The-media-leader.com is our website. You can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK and weekly roundup of media in the US. You can also find us on YouTube where we are posting video interviews and clips from our live events, our LinkedIn page where people like to comment on the things that we're posting and Twitter where all our stuff is pretty much pumped out like a beautiful fountain of media industry content. That's it. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.